Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins, a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and sacred scriptures, along with information on topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will interview Sister Mary McCormick. We will also look at the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, as well as reflections on the readings for this first Sunday of Advent. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our Bishop's Corner, we will welcome those from St. Vincent de Paul. With me now is Darlene Jones, who is the Chief Executive Officer of St. Vincent de Paul for the Northeast Ohio District, which really includes Trumbull, Portage, and Ashtabula counties. Welcome to Wineskins. Good morning, Father. Thanks for having me. You know, Darlene, St. Vincent de Paul has been a staple in the church for so many years, and it's an outreach for so many people who are in need. Tell us in a nutshell why Vincent de Paul is so crucial for us. We work collaboratively with 15 different agencies in the area, but we tend to fill the gaps that are missed in other organizations sometimes. So especially in this economic crisis, we're still trying to get past COVID, high inflation. We're finding more and more people need our services than ever before. And I would imagine that there are a lot of people throughout the parishes in those counties that really participate and help with the mission of Vincent de Paul. So talk about them. Oh, you know, our volunteers and our Vincentian members are really the foundation of St. Vincent de Paul. Without them, we could never provide the scope of services and programs that we're able to provide. They really are the lifeblood of our organization. Now, when you talk with different parishes, do you discover some new members? Are they constantly trying to get new people involved? And if that's the case, what are you doing to get more people? Really, the local parishes are front line for recruiting new membership. We will go out into parishes and speak with parishioners, very often at the invitation of the local pastor or priest. And that really is, when we're able to kind of spread the news about what we're doing, that really is the best way for us to bring on new members and new volunteers. For those that are listening that really have heard about Vincent DePaul but never have gotten involved with it, what would you like to tell them? I think the first thing is that, you know, we've been here since 1930 in Trumbull County. 93 years is a long time. We are established and very well respected in the community. And I think that's important. If you're going to give your time or your treasure to a nonprofit, you want to make sure that you're connected to an organization that is doing the right thing and really trying to treat everyone they serve with dignity and respect. And I know that you work with other organizations. Talk about some of those affiliations and working relationships you have with them. Of course. Catholic Charities is a big one. We really partner almost weekly, if sometimes daily, with them, trying to make sure that clients have all the needs met so that they have a glide path to become self-sufficient. So Catholic Charities is certainly one. We work with Trumbull County Children's Services, multiple veterans agencies, Salvation Army, Coleman, Compass, so a wide range of community programs that work collaboratively together. We know that you're going to try to branch out further in the 
Portage County area, mm -hmm. but also you're doing work in Ashtabula. Talk about those two counties. Sure. So we do have programs right now in Ashtabula County. We've already begun additional outreach into Ashtabula and Portage. And the model that we have here in Trumbull County is on solid ground. Those programs are funded. And now we're able, we have the resources, we have the staffing, the volunteer base to be able to reach out and replicate those in the coming year in those additional counties. We're very excited about that. Let's let the folks know where the services are found, especially in the Trumbull County area. Sure. So if you're looking for the administration building where all of our voucher services and programs are launched, that's 2431 Niles Road in Warren, and that number is 234-223-2933. If you're looking for the dining hall, it is on that same campus right there on Niles Road, and our CARES clothing room is located there. Now, we opened our new thrift store, 11,000 square feet in downtown Warren. That's actually 540 Main Avenue Southwest. So we're all within about a mile. All the main buildings in Trumbull are about a mile, mile and a half apart. In closing, what would you like to tell the folks that are with us about St. Vincent and why it's so crucial for reaching out in Jesus' name? You know, I think our volunteers, our Vincentian members, our staff, really every day we're dealing with our neighbors in need, and we are... I can tell you firsthand, everyone involved with the organization is really just a witness to what we're called to do every day. Help those in need without judgment, without any sort of critical thinking, but literally giving them a hand up, a path to providing for themselves, but making sure we do that in a way that everybody is treated with dignity and respect. It's really the, the hallmark of what we do. Darlene Jones, Chief Executive Officer of St. Vincent de Paul, especially in the Northeast Ohio District with Trumbull Portage and Ashtabula Counties. Thank you for your service. Uh, we look forward to having you back on Weinstein's again, where you could share some more information about the wonderful work, the longtime work of St. Vincent de Paul and your affiliation with our local parishes that really reach out in the Lord's name to meet those basic needs. So thank you. Thank you. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. The church celebrates the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th. To tell us more is Brother Dominic Calabro. He is a member of the Society of St. Paul in Canfield. It seems that the English Crusaders brought the Feast of the Immaculate Conception from the East in the middle of the 11th century together with the Feast of St. Anne, which was celebrated on December 9th. It originated in Greek monasteries and it spread on the continent in the 12th century and it was adopted by the Franciscans. It was listed in the Roman calendar by Pope Sextus IV in 1476 and the Sistine Chapel was dedicated to the conception of Mary after the Council of Basel decided to make it a universal feast in 1439. Prior to that, as early as 750, the Feast of the Conception of Mary by St. Anne, mother of the Theotokos, was celebrated in the East on December 9th. It became an obligatory holy day by Edict of Emperor Emmanuel in 1166. The 9th century calendar of Naples also listed the Feast of the Conception of Mary by St. Anne, and in 1050, Leo IX recommended that the Conception of the Virgin Mary should be honored. Pope Clement XI made the Conception of Mary a Feast of Obligation in 1708, and in 1855, after the definition of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception by Pius IX, on December 8, 1854, 
the bishops of the United States had made the Immaculate Conception patron feast of the church in that country. The apparitions at Lourdes in 1858 have been seen by some as a heavenly confirmation of the dogma. The opening prayer of the Mass was composed at the time of Pope Sixtus IV in 1477, and it is a synthesis of the dogmatic definition. You let her share beforehand in the salvation of Christ would bring by his death and kept her sinless from the first moment of her conception. Some of the fathers of the East saw a parallel in the two conceptions. That is, the sterile Anne conceived Mary and the Virgin Mary conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Since the feast was celebrated many centuries before the dogmatic definition, we have a case in which the norm of belief is based on the norm of prayer. The new preface of the Mass is inspired by the Vatican Council II documents, Lumen Gentium and Sacrosanctum Concilium. In the prayer over the gifts, we focus on the central point of this dogma, namely, that Mary was preserved from sin from the very first moment of her life. The prayer after communion asks that as we celebrate the singular privilege of Mary's preservation from sin, may we also be redeemed from the wounds of original sin. The relevance of this feast is found in the first reading for the Mass in the book of Genesis and the antiphon for the canticle of Zechariah. In the office of readings, the words of St. Anselm place Mary at the very summit of all creation. Lady, full and overflowing with grace, all creation receives new life from your abundance. Virgin, blessed above all creatures, through your blessing all creation is blessed, not only creation from its creator, but the Creator Himself has been blessed by creation. For Wineskins, I'm Brother Dominic Calabro from the Society of St. Paul. With me is Sister Mary McCormick, who is a General Superior of the Ursuline Sisters of Youngstown. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. We know that beginning in September of 2023 to September of 2024, the Ursulines of Youngstown are celebrating a significant anniversary, 150 years. Talk about that humble beginning that started in 1874. Thanks very much. It is interesting because the first Ursuline Sisters who came to the Youngstown area were the Ursuline Sisters. They came at the invitation of the pastor of St. Columba Parish, at that time, the pastor was Father Patrick Brown. They had a Catholic school, and they had had some a group of sisters that stayed for a little while, but the sisters then moved back to wherever they were from originally. And Patrick Brown had a sister, his blood sister, who was a Cleveland sister, uh, an Ursuline sister in Cleveland. Uh, at that time, we were still part of the Diocese of Cleveland, so Father Brown wrote to the General Superior in Cleveland and said, would you please send some sisters to teach in the school? The superior sent six sisters, including his own blood sister, and they came here in September of 1874. They arrived on September 18th, and four days later, they started teaching in the school. And the rest is history. And the rest is history, <laughs> as they say. I'm just so thrilled that beginning at St. Columba, 150 years ago, continues to this day. We still have one of our sisters on the staff here, Sister Martha Reed. And there's been an Ursuline sister here all these years. Well, the interesting thing about the Ursuline sisters, like many religious orders, is that they touch many lives. And you've touched many lives, your community, not only over these 150 years, but going way back to St. Angela Marici, you know, almost right. 500 years ago. So talk a little bit about those beginnings and how she started the community. 
Right. I'm glad you brought up St. Angela. She was a woman of the Reformation. So if you think back to the days of the Reformation, almost 500 years ago, as you say, it was a time of great turmoil in the church. There were lots of movements that were pulling people away from Catholicism. St. Angela was an Italian woman, single woman, on the one hand, deeply committed to a life of faith, deeply committed to being a disciple of Jesus, but aware of all of the issues that were going on at the time. At that time in history, there was a sense that for women, either you would get married or you would join a monastery. And Angela didn't think God was calling her to do either of those things. In fact, she remained a laywoman until she was about 60 years old. But she ended up starting a new religious community. And it was not exactly a monastery. In fact, the followers of St. Angela lived in their own homes among their own families, but they dedicated their lives to service of people, especially to people that were poor. I don't know if they used the word homeless in those days, but perhaps didn't have a home, didn't have a way to provide for themselves. The followers of St. Angela began to do that. That grew into the religious community that we know today as the Ursuline Sisters. As you talk about St. Angela, I can't help but think those beginnings that happened way back then are really echoed in a lot of what the Ursulines do now in their ministry, in your outreach. How is that correlation? How is that come together and how is that celebrated in this local community? We too think that we've been faithful to what St. Angela started. And of course, Angela was a disciple of Jesus and tried to imitate the life of Christ. We see ourselves doing the same thing. We live in the midst of whatever group of people we're living among. So for us, we live in Youngstown. When we came to Youngstown, we stayed. We planted deep roots and we have stayed. In the first days, 150 years ago, The need and the specific reason we were asked to be here was to teach in Catholic schools. As Catholic schools grew in the area and as a lot of lay people moved into that kind of work, we began to say, where else is there a need? And our sisters began to work in other places. For example, we saw a whole new group of homeless people, and especially, I think, in the beginning, homeless women and their dependent children. And sisters began to say, gosh, what can we do? to help them. When there were people in the area first starting to be affected by or infected by the HIV virus, and there was a lot of fear about that, some of our sisters began to say, what can we do? How can we help these individuals? How can we help these families? And that was the beginning of our HIV AIDS ministry. Probably 30 or 40 years ago, some of our sisters, and and sometimes when they got a little bit older, Mm -hmm. they recognized that there's a whole underserved population in prisons, and they began a a writing ministry. How do we help people that are spending a good deal of their lives in prison? And they began by writing letters, and we still have sisters who are involved in that kind of ministry. One of the things that I'd like us to focus on is kind of the growth in ministry of the Ursulines, but also the sense of decline in numbers. And we experience that in priesthood vocations. Mm -hmm. How is that being compensated, for lack of a better word? As you note, that our idea of ministry in the church has changed a lot. There are still numerous needs, but not as many people who are living the kind of lives that has been kind of the hallmark of the church in priesthood or religious life. One of the things we've begun to do is to say, how do we generate and nurture a call from God 
to discipleship, to be missionary disciples, but perhaps in their own lives. And so we have some associates who are connected with us in prayer and in ministry. We also have focused a lot on young adults, trying to nurture the gospel call for young adults to be involved in our mission, to learn more about prayer, to nurture their own life of faith. Most of them are not choosing to enter religious life. You know, it's mostly young women with whom we work. But I'd say the same is true for young men. Many are really interested in being disciples, but not necessarily entering into priesthood. We consider that, too, a really important part of our mission, trying to foster and nurture and help to grow the faith in young people. And the folks that are with us today, if they want more information on some of the events and the celebrations that surround this 150th anniversary, where can they go to? Who do they contact? I'd say the best way to get in contact with us is through our website. Our website is theursulines.org. So if you go there, you'll find a whole list of things that we're doing. Information about our history, information about our 150 years of service to the greater Youngstown area, as well as different events that will celebrate this anniversary. Sister Mary McCormick, General Superior of the Ursulines of Youngstown, congratulations on this anniversary, but also for the ministry of the sisters here in the Diocese of Youngstown. Thank you. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. The Catholic Echo is the media arm of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown, and it seeks to inform and entertain Catholics in our six-county diocese by forging stronger connections to our parish communities and highlighting the many blessings of Catholic life in our region. If you have a story idea for the Catholic Echo magazine, podcast, or website, send an email to catholicecho at youngstowndiocese.org. We'd love to hear your ideas. The song we have for you today is from the CD called A Cradle in Bethlehem, Our Savior is Born. It is by the Kellenberg Memorial High School Choir.
And to tell us about the scriptures for this first Sunday of Advent is Father Jay Clark. He is Pastor Emeritus of St. Paul Church in North Canton. In ever so many ways as we journey through life, we're bombarded by cautions and warnings that attempt to alert us to possible dangers. For example, as we travel roads and highways, signs tell us caution, oversized load ahead, pass with care. Floors in our stores wet from slush and snow have bright yellow or orange signs that warn caution, wet floor. When you focus your attention on all the cautions and warnings like the one I just mentioned, you can easily get the impression that life is loaded with dangers just waiting to get us. And yet we cannot really live in fear. To live in constant fear and dread is not emotionally nor spiritually healthy. What we need is common sense and good judgment, an alertness that is not fear-filled, but awake and sensible. So don't be overly anxious about life, but do take good, sensible care of yourself and each other. Avoid obvious hazards and dangers. Now, our scriptures today contain similar warnings. They certainly call for alertness in the spiritual life, but at the same time, there's a sense of confidence in God's abiding presence that takes away any need to be overly anxious. Today's gospel from St. Mark is a straightforward demand that we be on guard for the coming of the Lord. The modern world and its demands and stresses make it easy for us to slip into distracted ways. None of us set out to disregard the gospel, but we do sometimes drift into careless habits of distractions, selfishness, and neglect of our spiritual lives. We'd be mistaken if we interpreted the warnings of today's gospel by concluding that God is on the lookout for a chance to catch us, to trap us. The coming of the Lord is never a bad threat, but it is always a grand promise. In Advent and in our daily life, we're not waiting for God, the policeman with the search warrant. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord himself, who is a loving friend, who loves and cares for us in ways that are far beyond our power to even imagine. The grand message of Advent is that our God cares. Our God is concerned. Our God wants to come to you again and again and again every day. Why? Just because God loves you. Think of how the early disciples of Jesus looked forward to his coming to them. For example, when Lazarus died, Mary and Martha heard Jesus was on his way to see them. Martha couldn't wait. She ran down the road to meet Jesus. The gospel actually says Mary hurried into his presence. And then Peter, recognizing the voice of the Lord coming to him across the water, didn't wait to row over to Jesus. Peter jumped right into the lake. He started to run across the water to him. Jesus' first friends anticipated his coming. They had found in Jesus a faithful friend who had lived and taught them the meaning of life and love. And that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. When we take that lesson to heart, then we too will regard every coming of the Lord as a promise, not as a threat. The challenge of this annual Advent season is to be alert to the comings of the Lord, even while we are overly busy and preoccupied with the world. This is what Advent is calling us to do, to make some space for a time to commune with God so that we will go more and more into the habit of awareness of the presence of God. Advent invites you to slow down your minds and hearts once in a while. Take time to simply be in prayer 
to be with God, allowing God to be with you. We use daily meditation books. We use meal prayers with Advent wreaths. Advent is speaking to you in signs, symbols, and words of the Christ who comes every day as a friend and companion to walk with you, to comfort you, to challenge you right smack in the middle of your frenetic life. Come, Jesus, come. For Wineskins, this is Father Jay Clark. Jesus said, stay awake and be on guard. The best way I can do that is by going out to meet life with my whole heart and giving to everything with my best ability. Life is worth living. Let's not throw it away on that golden privilege. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Dossison Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda saying thank you for being with us. Have a blessed week. And we of Wineskins want to remind you that this Friday is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, a holy day of obligation. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.